All right, let's get into the game. Patrick Mahomes delivered. I mean, that's the headline from the, from the, from the game. That's the main story. That was the main thought heading into the game is, hey, one team's got Patrick Mahomes, the other doesn't. And that's exactly how it played out. One team had Patrick Mahomes and the other team didn't, and that seemed to be the difference. I couldn't help but think about how it felt just like a New England Patriots, Tom Brady type of Super Bowl win. Where you're left, if you're a 49ers fan, spending the whole offseason thinking about how close you were to beating them. Same as you did four years ago when you're like, man, if we just got a couple holding calls against Nick Bosa, if we just stopped and knocked down that third and 15 Tyreek Hill kind of duck that floated in the air forever that he caught to move the chains and set up a touchdown, if we had just made one or two different plays, we would have won. This game's going to be even more frustrating. It's not just going to be like, oh, man, we couldn't get a holding call. It's not going to be just, oh, man, if we made one different play or if Jimmy Garoppolo hit a miracle throw down the field, this one's going to be like, man, if we just didn't have a punt go off our foot. Which I, I, I thought that was another funny Romo moment as he started to tell the world about the Peter call. And you're like, hey, when a punt returner sees a ball coming and it's going to hit somebody, we scream, Peter. Ha ha, Jim, I don't really know why. Because he's like, you know, oh, wait, 100 million people are watching. I'm going to make football seem kind of homophobic if I tell everyone we say Peter because the idea is that you don't want a Peter to hit you. <laughs> Peter, of course, slang for penis. Romo started to tell the world that. It's like, you know what, Jim, I don't know why they say Peter. <laughs> and not only, he did, he, he did Peter, Peter, Peter. He, right. He, he, like, rattled it off multiple times. He was, uh, that's Romo for you. And then he was going to be like, yeah, you know, it's because we don't want Peters to touch us as football players, as big tough men. But I don't know, Jim. I don't know why we say Peter. But, yes, if you're the 49ers, like, man, if we just didn't have a punt returner fumble of all after another guy had it hit off his foot, if we had just, you know, really, to me, the game came down to, you could you could feel it watching it. It came down to the third and four after the two-minute warning. To me, that was as simple as if the 49ers would have picked up that first down and, you know, had a chance to kick the field goal as time expired, they won. If not, Patrick Mahomes was going to beat them. That's the way he felt. And that's kind of the way it played out. He didn't put him away. Instead, you know, Steve Spagnuolo, who just won his fourth Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator, just kept sending pressure. Like, that was their game plan the entire second half was, hey, we're just going to keep sending pressure at Brock Purdy. Pressure, 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 pressure. The pressure got home and was able to knock the ball down that third and four. And then, yeah, the, the 49ers kick a long field goal, and then Mahomes goes down ties it. Then over time, you know, you had the coin toss and deciding whether you're getting the ball first or second, and people are now second-guessing Shanahan for that. And he comes out as a loser. On the other side, it's just Mahomes and Andy Reid are winners. Bob, what was your take? Pretty much that. I think that um, when it was in overtime, you talk about near misses or things that, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda. The, the fact when San Francisco didn't get that touchdown and – God, that's another. We'll spend a little time on Juwan Jennings. What a game. I mean, he could have been open for his third touchdown that he'd be involved in. But Purdy got so much pressure from Chris Jones that he had to essentially just kind of heave it. And you think about that. That's just that's just like a matter of seconds. That, you know, It doesn't mean the game would have been over, obviously. We talked about that, too. But it would have put Kansas City in a different kind of position. They would have been working their way down the field to just tie it and try to get it to a, you know, second round of 
overtime or whatever they would be calling it. But once that happened and they got the field goal, I was of the mind of this is this is over. Mahomes is going to take them down, and sure enough, he did. Um, just the fact, also, he take the he took the play into his own hands that fourth down call, which turned out it was a great call. I mean, they I just watching greatness. That's all all you can say about it. That team. That was, if you think about the three Super Bowl championships that they have now, that was, to me, the weakest team they had. But they also had, in a lot of ways, the hardest road to win it all. Um, it's an amazing story. It really is. And I think it, you know, that's another thing we can spend a little time talking about is where do they stack up now as far as, I think you do have to start talking about a dynasty. They've won three, uh, three out of four appearances, and it it doesn't look like they're done either. You heard it from Kelsey last night. He's coming back. Reed's coming back. Obviously, Mahomes is coming back. Yeah, I thought Kelsey. I thought Kelsey was great. You know, the first half was terrible. Of course, one catch for one yard. But then the second half, I mean, he went back to just being the the unstoppable player. And quite frankly, he looked like he was shot out of a cannon on that on that play with ten seconds left, where I thought he was going to score. Like when he got around, you know, caught that ball across the middle and. His defender slipped a little bit, and he looked like he had a different gear. And I thought he was going to get to win the walk to win the Super Bowl to walk off like you know twenty five yard catch and to to you know really have the script writers and the in the the Swifties all you know that that conspiracy come to fruition. It seemed that way. It seemed that way because, it, like I said, it looked like he was shot out of a cannon. They said that was the fastest he had hit. In the last, I believe, uh, seven seasons, according really? to according to Next Gen Stats, it said he reached a top speed of nineteen point six eight, and that was the fastest speed he had been recorded over the last seven seasons. And <laughs> and watching it, it felt that way. Like I don't know, I don't know if he was like t- took some steroids before the game or what, because he seemed to be fast. He also seemed to be angry, as I thought we were getting ready to see the breakup between him and Taylor Swift, and I thought they were going to. All of the Taylor Swift fans were going to, you know, cancel Travis Kelsey when he is bumping a 65-year-old man and knocking the papers out of his hand and screaming at his face. I was like, oh, no, this is the end for Travis. He's got one catch for one yard, and he looks like a domestic violence abuser. He looks like an abuser. as he He's showing red flags, red flags, red flags, and he's screaming at a poor old fat 65-year-old man. <laughs> and then in the second half, he bounced back and just dominated. Speaking of uh, steroids, I'll tell you somebody who got a who definitely got some sort of shot was Debo Samuel. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, my God, I because he came back out and he was limping for a second. He still had a little bit of a limp, and then he had that one play where I mean, he looked full speed again. He was like like nothing had happened. You thought he was gone? Well, I thought you know same with with uh, Kittle. Kittle ran to the back with his shoulder popped out and popped it back in and and came back out, which. You know he's he's a maniac, but you sure he wasn't just hitting the head? Maybe surely he wasn't. Like, surely he wasn't going off the field like on the <laughs> most important drive to go to the bathroom. I, I would imagine that at that point you just go on the field. <laughs> well, I would be guessing. I don't know. I saw someone say he went and got his shoulder pump into place. I, I don't know. I guess I didn't see any confirmation. Sam, what were your takes while watching the game? There was it was like I said, really boring for a while and just hectic, just play after play. You could point to ten different things that felt like it swung the game. Yeah, I mean, to me, it kind of just felt, you know, that that first half was real slow, like you were saying. I thought the Niners had multiple chances to kind of 
not slam the door shut, but make it a whole lot more difficult for the for the Chiefs to come back into that one. And I just thought the longer and longer that the Chiefs stay around is like a you know down seven points or something like that. You just felt you just felt like Patrick Mahomes and that team were going to figure it out, and you get into the second half and and you obviously get into a rhythm with Kelsey and, and Mahomes and those two start to have their playoff magic again. I mean, it, I think this one's just tough because I think that it's kind of more just props to the Chiefs and props to Mahomes and Kelsey for stepping up in the big moment. Like, I don't think there's too many players or, or plays that you can really say on the Niners that are like huge, huge cases maybe outside of your special teams plays and fumbling the ball that, that lost him that game. Like, I don't think Brock Purdy played a bad game at all. I didn't think Brock Purdy played good. I mean, he made a couple of scramble plays and like, you know, when the game was breaking down, he kept them in it. But like, we were very close to just... You know, if it wasn't for that, you know, well, I guess I guess 26 minutes into the show, we should point out the difference between winning and losing is so important. Obviously, <laughs> right? The difference between winning and losing is so important because if the game goes differently, maybe the first thing we say a minute into the show is about how Juwan Jennings won Super Bowl MVP and was a legend, and instead we haven't even mentioned his performance yet. Yeah, 27 minutes into the game because they lost, so it'll be forgotten. That should be celebrated in Knoxville, of course. You know, one of the, you know, beloved sons, one of the bright spots of the last decade. Juwan Jennings, one of the most beloved balls for an entire generation of fans, <clears throat> had his moments, threw a touchdown, caught a touchdown, made some big third down catches, drew a penalty on third and fifteen against maybe the best cornerback in the league or one of. He was set to maybe be MVP. I don't know if he would have won. Because McCaffrey ended up with a you know 160 total yards. I don't know if McCaffrey would have stolen it from him. I think I, they needed to win in regulation for Jennings to get it. Yeah, you, but if he got if he had gotten that touchdown because he broke off that guy in the overtime. If oh he, sure, it, that'd be a third touchdown. I don't see there's any way he doesn't win it then. Yeah, yeah, with the touchdown there for sure. But I'm just was talking about you know if if they get a stop on you right know, the fourth and one that <clears throat> I thought that was where it was going to end. I thought the Chiefs were going to get stu- stuffed on the short yardage in overtime, but instead Mahomes ran it and. And got it done. But, yeah, Juwan Jennings was very, very close to winning MVP. And instead, 28 minutes went by and we didn't even really speak about him because they lost. And when you win, that's what matters. When you win, it's Patrick Mahomes passing Joe Montana in terms of all-time rankings, I would imagine. To me, like, I don't know how you would have Montana ahead of Mahomes at this point. To me, it's just it seems like Brady's the only thing he's chasing at this point. Speaking of Juwan, uh, listener Jared wrote in um, on X, and I didn't catch this. He said, did you guys catch that Jim Nance said that Juwan Jennings threw a Hail Mary in college? I missed that tidbit. I saw some people complain about it. I didn't pay attention to it. I didn't see that either. Yeah. So Romo's rubbing off on Nance. I loved how it was the exact same play, though, from the Florida like the Florida throw that he had. <laughs> yeah, did you see Butch's post? Yeah. Good that was Lord. a huge night for Butch Jones last night. Yeah. Between – between the throwback play, between Lil John coming out and having the turn down for what, that made you think about third down for what, to hell even Travis Kelsey balling out. Yes. I mean, that was that was his guy too. So, big night for Butch Jones. Made the mistake of tweeting it out though, but at least he had the self-awareness to turn the replies off. They just, those pesky quote tweets though. You can't do anything about the quote tweets. And yeah, it was just people just making fun of Butch Jones. But, you know, it was a nice play. That's like the only thing I hit last night in terms of my prop bets was I did have 
35 to 1 on a player not a position player throwing a touchdown. That's a good call. I didn't do too well on my bets. I did then I did take that. They they cashed it at halftime. I took that and I took the Chiefs at, at 2 to 1 to come back and win the game. So at least we survived a little bit. Could have been better. I was very very close to getting screwed by Brock Purdy taking that nail down at the end of regulation. I got screwed by that. All of my buddies had it too. We were we were devastated. Eleven and a half in the week would have been good. That you know when I said that was my favorite bet it was eleven and a half. It went up to twelve and a half, and yeah, the kneel down took his rushing yards from thirteen to twelve. So almost was a bad beat. If Pacheco, I needed six more yards from him for it to really matter. But uh, then I would have been really mad. I've been really mad. My buddy had a ten leg parlay that he had just needed the half of Brock Purdy rushing yard and then a Pacheco touchdown and he was like uh, devastated when the Chiefs were driving and Pacheco was maybe at the goal line to yeah. score. He was like, if I come up half a yard short, I'm calling customer care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that would have been a really, really bad beat, a really tough beat. Really tough beat. We'll continue talking the Super Bowl after the break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Back in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios, 865-546-8200 if you want to weigh in. Roberto's on hold. Let's bring Roberto on. Good morning, Roberto. Good morning, gents. Hello. Hello. Can what's you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, what's up, man? Good morning. Morning. Uh, wow. We were, we were mere minutes from a Jawan Jennings MVP, weren't we? Very, very close. Very, very close. I love how everybody thinks Kyle Shanahan is the greatest tactician in the history of professional football. Like, so many people just talk about how brilliant he is. And schematically, I, I would tend to agree that he is he is in the upper echelon of the league and maybe, maybe of all time. Uh, but he cannot coach in-game, can he? I don't know if I'm going to blame last night on him. I don't know. Maybe you can lay out the case for what he blew last night. But if I'm if I'm Kyle Shanahan, I would have came and did my press conference and be like, look, guys, I know you're going to talk about me being a choker, but I'm not the one that had the ball go off my foot on a punt return. That's just bad luck. What That's, did you think he messed up last night? Personally, uh, I, I you know, if I, I would have used Christian McCaffrey more. Uh, but maybe, maybe that's not – Maybe that's not a tactical thing or an in-game coaching thing, but I mean, they're the best player on the. It, he was the best player on the field last night. Him or Jawan Jennings? He had the two best players on the field last night. And hold on, hold on, think, hold on, hold on. Anytime Patrick Mahomes is on the field, he's the best player on the field. Just, well, okay, okay, I'll give you that. I can't argue, even argue that, John. But I would, I would argue that in the first half, Patrick Mahomes was pretty crappy. Yeah, no, I mean, Christian McCaffrey's really good, but just Patrick Mahomes, he, he's the story of the game coming out. He's, he's the best player on the field. But, yes, McCaffrey. Uh, actually. Go ahead. We on Was it Friday or Thursday we had this discussion, and I said if he wins and has a great performance, he's already in the Hall of Fame and maybe a first ballot. Are we there now? That was my second question. You kind of segued that, John. Yeah, no, I mean, I think we even said that if he didn't play another game, he was already a Hall of Famer as far as I was concerned. I mean, I meant first ballot yeah, this time. Yeah. I caveat. Yeah, I mean, is that where we are? Now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. Three Super Bowls. And 
you know, if two MVPs or three now, uh, three Super Bowl MVPs, but two MVPs of the okay. league, yeah. So he's entered Joe Montana territory. I think right? he's past Joe Montana for a lot of people, and that's fine. I, I can get behind that too. But I'm just saying, Montana is the only was the only other three time. Uh, him and Brady, maybe. Yeah, I didn't think Brady was three time. Brady, uh, Montana, uh, Bra- Brady, Montana, and Mahomes are now the three three MVP, okay. three Super Bowl guys. I mean, his first ballot Hall of Famer then. Uh, congratulations in what? He's been in the league now six years? Yes. Started five years? That's incredible. Um, you know, I, I, it was actually a terrible football game until the last quarter, and then it was a great football game. Uh, but uh, Usher stole the show, right, guys? Is that where we're at? I thought Usher was great. Bob's making a face. Bob Usher, did he do it for you? No, I liked it. No, okay. I, I, no I'm Sam, fan. what about you? Did Usher reach your generation? I thought it was pretty solid. Okay, yeah. good. I like the roller skates, too. Yeah, the roller blades were, were the, awesome. The roller blades, you only got a taste of that. I, I saw Usher in Vegas in, in did he May. he that, too? But they, they rollerbladed for like an hour out there. Oh, like, that's it was, awesome. No, like the, the show they actually put on in Vegas was crazy. And like he was on rollerblades for a good portion of it. For, for the around. record, he was not on rollerblades. He was on the four-prong skate. Really? He, he, Usher ain't no chump, bro. Look at it. He was look on the, he was look the speed very skates, carefully. Sam, yeah, he's on the speed skates. He's on, he's on the quads. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dude, yeah, Pride of East so. Brainerd, Tennessee, even though he doesn't claim East Brainerd. I mean, he grew up there until he was like 14 years old. Yep. Chattanooga. Um, well, guys, thanks for the time. I, I just, I get, I just couldn't believe that Juwan Jennings was on the precipice of being the Super Bowl MVP, and they just couldn't push it across the finish line. I thought they were the better team for the majority of the night, but if you give the ball to Patrick Holmes at the end of a game with a chance to win, it's over. It is over. Uh, guys, have a great day, Bob. I'm heading up to your. Uh, to your home state to do some skiing today. So I hope you guys have a great day, and I know I'm going to. You as well. Care. Have See fun, buddy. Yeah, I mean, it could have been a big night just for Tennesseans, right? Juwan Jennings, Murfreesboro, Usher, Chattanooga, even though he claims Atlanta. Instead, he was sweating. He was sweating. He was sweating. Dude's jacked, though. My God. That's, I'm trying to figure out how old he is. He's got to be getting – he's got to be late 40s. I mean, he was like 18 whenever he debuted around like 94. So, yeah. I mean, you can do the math on that. I mean, that was 30 years ago. So, yeah, I mean, I would say let's say he's getting close to – surely, is he 45? Yeah, 45 years old. Born in 78. So, I guess he was like 16 when he debuted. So, yeah. But, no, still looks good. I mean, he still looks exactly like he did in the 90s. If you put on, I mean, he he had a little run in the '90s in terms of like being in some of those like teen movies. Uh, I saw him the other night, and she's all that. A little cameo, The Faculty. I don't know if you ever seen that. Sam, if you're a scary movie guy, he's in The Faculty. Looks the exact same way. Hairline hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. Had you heard rumors that it was great to see Alicia Keys, by the way? But <laughs> oh god, go ahead. Yeah, but there was the rumors Bieber was gonna perform had you heard that i saw that people were started saying that he was in vegas usher was kind of his mentor but whenever it came to me i I said that it didn't pass the the first test and if you're a super bowl performer the first rule is you can't bring out someone more famous than you yeah because then it becomes their show yeah like they're doing the same thing with rihanna last year i was like oh she's gonna bring out drake it's like oh you can't you can't bring out an artist that's bigger than you because then it becomes their show 
You can bring out Alicia Keys because Usher and Alicia Keys are on par together. You know, Ludacris and Lil Jon, they're on, they're on par together. Bieber comes out, it's Bieber show. That's the way I thought about it, at least. Like, you can bring out Will I Am, Jermaine Dupree. Whoever dressed Jermaine Dupree has got to do better. Jermaine Dupree was the one that came out in the the the, sh- the, the shorts that yeah. was like a tuxedo yeah. look. Yeah. You, you got to do better if you're Jermaine Dupree. Because I want to say he's. If Usher is 45, then Jermaine Dupree has to be pushing 60. That's not true. Only 51. Wow. That's actually surprising. I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I was uh, hanging with my friends watching the game and um, during the performance. Um, her came out on guitar and nobody knew and I said that's who it was and they were like I don't know about that and it's like no I know and I'm the older guy man I, I had it good job by you Bob because yeah. there was people that were my age in my group text asking and they didn't know who it was either yeah I didn't know who that was you didn't no. know who it was Mm-mm. I just knew well the guitar I, that she's was not famous enough to like be yeah. like a, to be somebody just walks out that you expect the world to know but, she passed the test though not more famous than us or you can be in the halftime show but she was she's a and she great guitarist that's what okay. that's what led me to that yeah and it wasn't like i was 100 percent confident i gotta admit it was like eh. i wasn't either i was 90 percent. i was yeah. like i'm pretty sure that's and i don't even know if i call her, her. i think i call her h-e-r just because it's all caps i don't know but yeah she's good to know she's got some vibey songs i mean she's she's not some of my buddies were skeptical that she wasn't playing the guitar right she might then. not have been honestly it didn't really it kind of looked like it was kind of on a track and she it, it might have been I, I don't know i don't know but yeah i thought usher i thought usher did well there was one moment, though, when I was sitting there, I was like, man, is this what uh, my parents used to feel like when, like, the Rolling Stones did the halftime shows? Because, like, I'm like, all these songs are, like, boom, 20 years ago. Like, Usher did a good job. He didn't try to play anything really past 2008 or so. Like, Loving This Club was 08, 09. He did a little bit of that. But, like, outside of that, everything was like, hey, here's here's the Usher you remember from the mid-'90s and the early-2000s. Here's some confessions. You guys used to love this. Hey, here's, yeah. You guys all danced to this at some point in your life at a wedding or school dance or something. Here you go. None of the new album stuff. Didn't waste our time with that. He just played the hits. And I was thinking, I actually thought about you, Sam. And I was like, I wonder if Sam's friends know these songs. I knew most of them, yeah. Okay. Okay. Because I was thinking back to my, like, you're older than I would have been at the time, but I was like, when. I remember just the old Super Bowls and like you know the Rolling Stones and stuff playing. I was like, what the hell is this? I've seen more Super Bowl performances where like I don't know some stuff. Okay, like I've seen some more that I've been more in the unknown. Okay, I'm well, actually surprised. Like, I guess Usher maybe had a little crossover with Bieber, and then I guess I think yes, he's transcended a little bit and famous the... enough to where it matters. But I, I did find myself wondering that because I was like, wait, I know all these songs, and I felt that way the last couple of Super Bowls. Like they're just pandering to my age demographic. As I'm getting older, I'm like, oh, yeah, Dr. Dre, Eminem, great. Yeah, 50 Cent, Upside Down, recreating the iconic In the Club video from 2003. I get it. But I'm wondering if the youth got it. So I'm good to know that you, I'm good to know that you got it. I'm good to know that you thought it was, uh, was good, Bob. I, I liked it. Yeah, I thought it was good. It was a lot to cover, man. He, it was like, God, man. I mean, you talk about, uh, talk about medley. That was... Uh, there was a lot in there. Yeah, I was going to say, it seemed like he hit a good 15 songs. Yeah. But I will say, uh, Loser of the Night, Alicia Keys, looked attractive, but man, that first uh, note she belted out, I was like, oh God, <laughs> oh God, this is going sideways. She, she did not do any vocal warm-ups. I guess good move by taking his shirt off, I guess, because you know, Bob <laughs> came in and like, hey, he's ripped. He, he was ripped. 
He was ripped. The sex appeal did work. I didn't know if he was trying to pay homage to like Michael Jackson or Prince or something because he had the little glove yeah, on. Yeah, he had the glove. I, I noticed I didn't that. know if he was paying homage. Oh, it was definitely Michael. I thought. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, the only other thing is the last time we saw uh, that I recall a Super Bowl halftime act where the dude took his shirt off was Adam Levine, and that did not go quite as well. So, yeah. So uh, Usher reinvigorated that that play. I took a big sip of my White Claw hard seltzer, and I said, mmm, good dance moves, Usher. Good dance moves. Mmm. White Claw hard seltzer. Please drink responsibly. You can look like Usher if you drink enough White Claws and ditch the beer belly bloat, right? The beer's so much heavier, it'll weigh you down. The White Claw, though, that was a White Claw body for Usher. We'll get back to the actual football game after the break. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Before we get, before we get to the Falls uh, Texas A&M game, this saw a breakdown of quotes from the Ringer about the overtime rules in the Super Bowl. We didn't get into the debate about whether or not Shanahan should have taken the ball first or second. Bob, did you have a take while watching it? I guess I guess you didn't really know the rules, you know, the difference between like the touchdown right. didn't end it, so you didn't have that debate in your head. And I guess knowing what you know now, do you think it was the right call to take the ball first? Because he was like, hey, you know, we wanted to get out there and we really wanted to say, you know, in case both teams scored, we wanted that third possession that would be sudden death. That's why we took it. I think knowing what I know now, I would have uh, deferred. Sam, would you have deferred as well? Because the the extra fourth down matters, and of course the Chiefs went for a fourth down on like their own like thirty four yard line, which maybe they wouldn't have done if they were getting the ball first. To me, I think he took the ball because he didn't want Purdy to have the pressure of maybe needing to score a touchdown if Mahomes went down and scored first. I don't know, but I I see this tidbit from the Ringer, which I'll quickly read this. Says the Chiefs' overtime plan worked exactly like they hoped. Kansas City safety Justin Reed, no relation to me, told the Ringer that the Chiefs had first discussed the new overtime rules as far back as training camp. Chris Jones told me players were prepared for what to expect if the Super Bowl went to overtime. We talked through this for two weeks, how we was going to give the ball to the opponent. If they scored, we was going to go for two at the end of the game. We rehearsed it. Then you flip that to the other side. Multiple San Francisco players said after the game that they were not aware that the overtime rules are different in the playoffs <laughs> than they are in the regular season. And strategy discussions over how to handle the overtime period did not occur as a team. Eric Armstead said he learned the details of the postseason rule when it was shown the Allegiant Stadium Jumbotron during a TV timeout after regulation. Kyle Juszczyk said he assumed the 49ers asked to receive when they won the toss because that's what you do in the regular season when a touchdown wins the game. Quote, I guess that's not the case. I don't really know the strategy, Juszczyk said. Okay, yeah. So, like, the right team won the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. The, the right team won the Super Bowl. That's the last we'll say about the Super Bowl in this hour. But the right team won. That's also how sure the Chiefs are that they're getting back to the Super Bowl. They start talking about playoff Super Bowl overtime rules in training camp. Well, quite frankly, the 49ers <laughs> should have known they would be a threat, too. Yeah. 
Oh, they were in the 100%. NFC Championship game last 100%. year and thought like, hey, if, if Brock Purdy didn't lose his arm or the feeling in his arm and the ability to throw the football, they might have beaten the Eagles and been in the Super Bowl. So they should have been prepping for that too. It wasn't like there was some spunky upstart Cincinnati Bingle-like story where like, oh my God, we're so happy to be here. Yeah, the right team won. It's a curse of the flat bill. I'm, t- I'm telling you, Andy <laughs> Reid doesn't wear a flat bill hat. He was preparing for the Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan... Flat Bill Hat has no idea. Just going off vibes. Just the cool guy going off vibes. That I'm telling you, that it was funny. It made me laugh because again, the the women at the get together I was at, they brought that up. They were like, "What's up with the hat? The Flat Bill?" It's like funny you ask. We've been talking about that. First, when he puts the hood up too, <laughs> he's got the Flat Bill and the hood on, and he's just got the little play sheet in front of him. Yeah. Okay, Tennessee. Texas A&M, we will switch gears. Ryan Shumpert will join us. Do we have to? At 8.30. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, we don't have to. We can keep talking the Super Bowl. No. I, I got more Kyle Shanahan thoughts, but because I, honestly I don't really know what to say about the Texas A&M game other than it was a colossal disaster and a wasted opportunity and you dropped the ball and you, you no-showed and laid an egg. Like I, I don't know what else to say about that game. Bob? Try your luck at it, because I was disappointed with the performance, of course. It's a bad loss. It's a sickening loss. It's one that makes you lose a little confidence in the team. On the other hand, it's a road loss to a tournament bubble team that's talented and good and you know, not a reason to absolutely panic, but one that makes you question you know, everything you've been watching prior to that game. Well, yesterday I was trying to convince myself, um, even when I was on the Sunday show, I was trying to convince myself that we, we had talked on Friday about that parallel fight for that number one seed. We were going to be paying close attention, not just to the Vols, but to Arizona. Well, that makes it even feel worse because Arizona went and took care of business. I mean, they ran Colorado off the floor. As uh, underdogs, by the way. Yeah. yeah. On short notice. Like, yeah, yeah, triple yeah. overtime, up yeah. in the mountains, elevation, altitude, all those things. Didn't matter. They just absolutely dominated that Colorado team. Meanwhile, we got dominated by Texas A&M. So right. I don't want to say the one seed dreams are dead, but they're on life support. Yeah, and so I agree. And and so then I I thought you know there's the whole statistic that you know the top ten teams on the road versus unranked teams. We've been talking about that for a few weeks now. It's there are more losses than wins. Thirty three losses against thirty two wins um, for top 10 teams when they go on the road against unranked teams. Okay. Highest win percentage for unranked teams in 14 years. Uh, and then I looked back and I was again, trying to rationalize. You look, you just have to go back to last year and look that Connecticut, UConn in the month of January, they were three and five. Okay. And you know, got swept by Marquette had eight losses, but they won a national title. So it's not that bad. I, I just, feel like now as it's settled a little longer it's it, it was a it's a painful loss for sure but to your point john it's a costly one too because now now if they really want to win the regular season conference title i feel like they have to almost win out at this point just because alabama's taking care of business they seem dialed in we talked about that over under of one and a half losses for them the rest of the way that's probably accurate uh, to take the under they, yeah they may lose once um so it, it it it's it's one that it hurts man it really hurts and and A&M we've talked about this too A&M was a preseason 
favorite, one of the top two teams in the conference. So they have talent. We know that. They just hadn't gotten right. Unfortunately, they got right against our guys. <sighs> Their guards. Their guards killed us. And that Anderson Garcia dude looked like a Dennis Rob- Rodman reincarnate. You know, 17 boards. He had as many offensive rebounds as Tennessee had as a team. Off the bench, 17 yeah. boards. Yeah. And we knew all of this. Remember, Polinsky talked about it, about the offensive boards and everything else. Top offensive rebounding team in the country. So you would think, you would think that there's some level of preparation to try to lock some of that down. It just didn't feel like preparation was there. Well, look, he's a friend of the program. Love Rick Barnes. I didn't understand playing Meshack only exactly two minutes in the first half, or even maybe even a minute in the first half. Like I understand he didn't necessarily have the the best start. You know, he came in and picked up a couple of uh, bad fouls and wasn't great. But like, he's your stopper, and you need a stopper because Wade Taylor was locked in and hitting every shot, and you needed a stopper out there. You needed a hustle guy to maybe to keep. Garcia off the boards. Somebody that was willing to box out. I thought he deserved more minutes, or I thought he should have played more minutes than he did. Now, he played a lot of the second half. He ended up with 17 minutes in the game. Yeah. So, so Barnes tried to make that adjustment, but Tennessee offensively couldn't get it going. I know it says they scored 41 points, but felt like 12 of those were in garbage time. It felt like, you know, a lot of connects points, I felt like were in garbage time. He had 12 points, and I think he scored 10 over the last couple minutes when Tennessee was clearly not going to win. I was a little surprised that Tennessee stayed with the starters and fouling and trying so long, but yeah. I guess it's a never-give-up mentality, and, and I don't know. but Yeah, a lot of empty calories, as I would call them, for Connect. I yeah. I, I didn't quite get it. The The other thing, too. He was bad. He was bad on uh, Saturday night. Yeah, he was. Um, you know, Jimmy Dykes said early that his belief was Tennessee was going to try to amp up the pace and, you know, really move the ball. Well, once they weren't hitting shots, once we saw how aggressive A&M was on the boards and the way A&M was hitting at the beginning of the, the game, I actually would have liked to have seen a little back to the future. I would have liked to have seen Tennessee maybe slow the, try to slow them down a little bit. Um, but they kept going with this up-tempo piece that it just it didn't, it didn't work, clearly. And um, I, I agree with you on Meshack because when he was in there, it was late in the game. It didn't matter as much. But, I mean, he was – Man, he was fighting underneath. I mean, was getting offensive boards, getting buckets. We needed that earlier. And it, and there were moments where Zakai, to me, picked up the pace in the second half. Again, maybe too little too late. But um, where Zakai looked like about a 10-year-old against their guards. They were they were being physical with him for sure. It was a bad Zakai game. You know, the, the final numbers for him and Connect both don't look bad when you just say, oh, 22 points and seven rebounds for yeah. Connect and six threes. Wow. And with Zakai, 15 points and six rebounds and six assists. Those are solid numbers, but they, they didn't pass the eye test. Uh, neither one of them. Yeah. No one. No one on Tennessee did. Like, that That was the frustrating part. Or maybe that's what makes it easy to flush. It's just like you played, quite frankly, the worst game maybe that you could have. In terms of you got dominated by one guy on the boards. You had nobody offensively that you could rely on. Connect was back to missing free throws. He was 4 of 9 from the free throw line and 6 of 11 from 3. I don't understand how that makes sense. 
You missed five shots on both. I don't understand how that makes sense. One's way tougher and you're guarded. Were you surprised at how much he got sat, just how bad the team was playing as a hole and, like, how much of a hole you were in? Like, that's kind of the, you know, it's one of the only guys that can shoot you out of a hole maybe. Yeah, like, I'll be honest. This was one of those games that it was a Saturday night and I went out with friends to watch it. And, like, it's one of those, like, you, you DVR and you plan on watching the next day to, like, actually get the intricacies of the game, Sam. But once, like, you lived it once, for me it was enough. I was like, you know what? You got your ass kicked the entire game. Like, you didn't even really make a run in the second half to ever really get close, right? I mean, what was, what was the closest you even got in the second half? Did you get it to single digits ever? Because no, they no, came out and I they – I think so. it might have been 10, maybe. I, I want to say 12. Okay. Yeah. So, like, I didn't even bother to rewatch to get the intricacies of it because it was so painful. I was like, I'm not rewatching this. So, I don't know what connectors I see. He had four fouls. I don't know if some of his minutes yeah, were he was foul, foul trouble, trouble or, right. or what. Can't give you an honest answer here, Sam, because I was watching and I was like, this is ugly. Did you see him and Barnes barking at each other? That's what I thought it was. I thought he was maybe just trying to send a message, lose the battle, win the war type of thing. Like, yeah. you're already losing by 20 points. You're not going to come back. Like, yeah. send him a message and kind of get him back on the right track. And I think you're right. I think 12 was the closest they got, and that's when A&M got their bucket, and then Buzz Williams ran out to freaking half court yeah. to call timeout. And... That was around the three-minute mark, though, right? Yeah, I mean, it was like yeah it, there wasn't much. You were up against time at that point, right? Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, Tennessee went 8 of 29 from the three-point line. And I told you Dalton Connect was 6 of 11. So I'll give you time to do math there. Yeah. 8 minus 6 is 2. 29 minus 11 yep. is 18. It's good stuff. So, like, your guy's not named Dalton Connect. And I think even a couple of his was in garbage time. I think he hit two or three threes yeah. at least in garbage time. But, like, the rest of your team was 2 of 18. So that lets you know how everyone else played. Santee, non-existent. Josiah, non-existent. Ganey, non-existent. Zakai, one of eight. Ganey had more minutes than Mayshack, too. Just blows my mind. Yeah, like, you know, I want to come off as like a Mayshack apologist because he's not a perfect player by any means, but like, he did feel like he was fit for this game against A&M, like that he could meet the task, answer the bell. If someone can put out a fire on our defense, like that's going to be – that's going to exactly. be. Yeah, or just like play hard. And he grabbed five offensive rebounds. Your team had 12 as a whole, and he had he had five of them. And that was on, what, 39 missed shots? I, I don't know. Like, so – a, I don't want to come off like I have real strong takes about this game because, like I said, it was one of those I, I just kind of flushed. It was a Saturday night game. You lost. The team didn't show up. I'm not going to go put in more work than the team did. I watched it once. That's almost more than they did because uh, some of those guys seemed like they were only in for half the game. Halfway focused. So I'm not going to go put the real homework in. It seemed bad and it seemed like a wasted opportunity. And, like, if you were disgusted watching the game, I think you had the right takeaway. Last thing I'll say is it mattered. Obviously, it mattered to A and M for a lot of reasons, but they they went up in their Ken Palm ranking like ten or eleven spots. I mean, it was it was a very valuable win for them. And we had mentioned that it was a resume builder. It was a resume win for A and M. You know, Polinski talks about how you sell out when you when Tennessee goes on the road. People pack right. the stands and want to beat them. Well, it's because you have a chance to to bolster your resume. And A and M goes from a a 10 seed maybe to a 7 seed, which, you know, isn't 
that big of a difference just yet. But if you can start winning a couple more and get on track, you know, you can see A&M work themselves back to being a, a five or a six. And that gives you a chance to realistically make a sweet 16. So it was a resume win. However, big picture stuff. Tennessee came into the game 12 to one to win the national championship. They come out of it 12 to one to win the national championship. Now you're tied with Arizona who goes from 15 to 12, but you're still right there. So nothing drastically changed there. However, when it comes to conference championships, Sam, I, I told you to write it down for us to put some money on it. Alabama went from plus 340 to win the SEC to now they're the favorite coming out of the weekend at plus 130. We had a chance. I told you all last week, Alabama plus 340, value, value, value. Tennessee neck and neck with Auburn at plus 260 and plus 270. What's South Carolina at? Plus 750. That might be worth the flyer. Perhaps. We'll talk with Ryan Schumpert, Rocky Top Insider, a little read and react with RTI coming up after the break. Ever been... This appearance by Ryan Schumpert brought to you by SM Athletics. Spring is here. That means the spring sports are getting ready to fire up. Baseball, softball, AAU basketball, track and field. If you have uniform equipment, screen print, or embroidery needs for the upcoming season, give SM Athletics a call. Excellent customer service, great products at a fair price. And when they say it is done, it's done right and on time every time. Don't chance it with unreliable mega stores with no skin in the game or online orders who look at you just as a order number. Give SM Athletics a call today at 865-966-3434. That's 865-966. Shaq on the Lakers. Shaq on the Lakers or visit smathletics.com. So it's time to read and react. We, uh, we've got a basketball game that we probably still need to talk a little about and get some insight from our guy Ryan Schumpert with Rocky Top Insider. Hey, Ryan, welcome back. And uh, also, I know we were texting a little last night. Um, you had to be a little torn. You had to, I, know, I know you, you're a, you're a preparation guy. You were probably uh, putting together some sort of... Uh, Jawan Jennings Super Bowl MVP piece, right? I've seen some stuff on the site, but uh, that was a tough one. You probably had to be thinking about how to write this if he had won, if the, the Niners win and he wins the MVP, which could have very well happened. No doubt, yeah. Actually, Rick was Rick beat me to the punch, and we were kind of texting about it. And really, I think it, I first thought about it more when McCaffrey was kind of going off on that last or that first drive of overtime, the 49ers last drive, and I was like, well, maybe Jawan won't win if San Francisco wins. So I said, well, well, we can turn this into a Jawan Jennings snub piece, or worst-case scenario, if the Chiefs win, we can turn it into a Jawan Jennings uh, stars in the Super Bowl. So I think that ended up being its final form. Uh, so not all Rick's hard work was for nothing. Ryan, did you know a lot of the Usher songs? <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I didn't even watch the halftime performance. Um, what? So I, I guess I don't have much insight on that. I was in uh, Ryan Silvio with Vol Report, put a little betting pool together that had a lot of props and picks, and he was a $5, and he just picked all of them. And he had like a, a what's going to be the first Usher song. They probably had seven or eight of them on there, and I, I only knew 
maybe half of them. So okay. kind of, uh, but but not a huge fan by any means. Yeah, back to making me feel a little old in terms of that being the demo. I'm, I'm the target demo. I'm the target demo now for the Super Bowl halftime show. It makes me feel old. <laughs> All right, Ryan, what's the big takeaway from Tennessee getting their ass kicked at College Station? I think it's kind of just that that Tennessee got you know really got it handed to them and uh, got dominated. You know, obviously Tennessee's had some games this year where they didn't play well, but really the first game all season they weren't competitive in, and they were really never competitive in it. I mean, it's to me that felt like the biggest part of the game was A and M starts red red hot from three. You knew that wasn't going to happen, and A and M I think gets gets to eight of eleven from deep with like seven and a half minutes left in the first half, and A and M's up by fourteen. And at that point, you know, Tennessee's not playing great, but there's a lot of bad luck that goes into that, too, A&M shooting that well. And I, I, I kind of felt like Tennessee can get this thing to single digits at halftime, they'll have a great chance here. Well, A&M doesn't make another three-pointer the final seven and a half minutes of the first half, and Tennessee goes into halftime still down 14. And to me, that was kind of the story of the game. Tennessee falls behind because of hot A&M shooting, but that was far, far from Tennessee's biggest issue. Uh, they really never made much of a true run, and you kind of saw their offense wither. Uh, for the second time in four games, and uh, you saw their defense really struggle uh, to stay in front of Wade Taylor and Tyrese Rafford. Hey, Ryan, one of the things I was talking about before we brought you on for this segment when we talked about this game, painful as it was, was I had a theory, and I want to see if you agree with this at all, and that was at the beginning of the game, Jimmy Dykes made a comment that what he felt – Coach Barnes and Tennessee wanted to do was really amp up the pace of the game. You know, just have more possessions than A and M. Kind of keep moving. Tennessee was not shooting well, as you just mentioned. A and M was shooting very well. Not to mention, they came out with an edge on the boards right off the bat. I mean, they they absolutely took it to Tennessee from a rebounding perspective. And so I would counter that maybe, as much as I don't want to say this, that maybe it's it's like throwback to last season's team. Would there have been a benefit to just slow this thing down a little bit, you know, and uh, might be less entertaining to watch, but, boy, what was going on Saturday night sure wasn't entertaining anyway. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I can see the logic of it just because, one, the way Tennessee played last year, you probably set yourself up to be better on the glass. But, in, you know, in the end, I don't really think it would have made a huge difference. And the fact that A&M hit all those shots and Tennessee couldn't get stops after the first, I don't know, six or seven minutes of the game, I felt like the pace really did slow down, at least until the last ten minutes when Tennessee kind of started pressing um, and really trying to speed it up and get as many possessions in as possible. So, you know, I don't think that was a, a massive, massive deal. Um, but certainly when you play fast and you can't score, and, I mean, one thing that really stood out, in those first five or six minutes, I think there was maybe back-to-back possessions or a couple possessions and or two possessions and a couple possessions where Dalton Connect had you know shots in transition at the basket where he's he usually making those at a 75% clip. He wasn't making those. I think it was the first game all year he didn't hit a two-pointer. And Tennessee's guards really struggled to score in transition. That's the reason they've been good in transition, mainly just Dalton Connect being so good at finishing at the basket when that wasn't going to happen or wasn't happening. Uh, you knew Tennessee's ability to be effective speeding up the game. Uh, was really going to be much much less than has been in some of these games. Is college basketball, you're allowed a stinker, but still. like It was just jarring to see the team never even look like it was close to making a comeback. At least it felt that way. 
Have you lost confidence in this team, or is it one that you just try to flush and say, okay, that's not who they are? You know, I think you kind of flush it and move on. It's one you put in the back of your head for sure. Um, but I think you see a lot of college basketball teams, what Purdue and UConn, maybe the only two teams in the country that have avoided a game like this. Uh, so I wrote about it yesterday. I think it's something that it matters a lot, lot more to Tennessee's chances of trying to win the SEC. And in that aspect, it's a real negative that, you lost the game, uh, and really I think you'd probably point to the South Carolina game being the one that's more costly, but certainly the worst performance of the year, one you keep in the back of your mind if Tennessee does start to, to struggle a little bit here in these next, whatever it is, four games now where they're playing lesser opponents, if they're not coming out and stepping on teams next and they're having to play a lot of close games, I think it's kind of when you think about it, maybe this team starting to struggle a little bit, but just on its surface, I don't think I necessarily hit the panic button when it as far as it comes to Tennessee achieving the goals they want to achieve in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, Tennessee went into, what, Thursday night as a projected one seed. You know, they went there as the fourth one seed. Coming out of the weekend, they're down to being the second two seed. So sixth overall. So not a lot of damage done, you know, to the resume and, and to the projections. I think it's mostly, I throw this word around, it's just a, it's a deflating loss and right now the vibes are low. The vibes are low on the team is how I feel. When you watch the last, you know, maybe couple weeks of performances, do you think the Jonas Adu surge is over when it comes to his offensive production? That's a good question. I think that's maybe the biggest question you have to leave this last four-game stretch with because Tennessee's offense is, and you know, South Carolina A&M game has not looked very good, and you kind of hope that the two things that would keep you from having those bad stretches with Dalton Connect and just his brilliance and part of it being his ability to score at the basket. And the other one is being Jonas Adu and having an interior scoring threat. And he's, he's struggled. I don't think I would necessarily say that it's over. I think that you'll, we've seen that what the first four or five games of SEC play, he was averaging 17, 18 points. I think we're seeing that that's not him. He's not going to do that consistently. I think he's still capable of that. And what you got to get back to is him being a guy that gives you consistently 14 or 15 points a game and not 8, 10 points on anywhere from 7 to 11 shots in these games where he's struggling. Yeah, I mean, he's gone from nine, you know, basically since the Alabama game, we had 19 points and was dominant. 9.6 points, 11 points against Kentucky on 13 shots, 10.6 points. It's, it's been pretty frustrating. Uh, like you said, you're not asking for the, the 19 or 20 points, but 12 to 14 seems to be the number Tennessee is going to need from him. 100%, and especially just in, in games like the other night. And, you know, Tennessee's one of the biggest takeaways, or maybe not takeaways, but things watching the game is, you know, Tennessee couldn't penetrate. The way Texas A&M was switching ball screens, Tennessee couldn't, could really not get anything downhill with their guards. And I think it, to some extent Tennessee anticipated that. Watching them practice on Friday – uh, the big emphasis is when they got those switches on the off-ball screens to throw the ball down low to Jonas Adu and Tobey Walker. And I don't think it's necessarily all Jonas Adu and Tobey Walker's fault because I don't think they got him the ball at a high enough clip. But for that to have clearly been, if not the game plan, an emphasis, an, an answer to Texas A&M's defense, and then to get whatever it was, a combined eight total shots from those two guys and I think eight or ten total points, uh, it's definitely a big disappointment, well, especially when you're talking about Adu being a guy that can – be a little bit more of a slump buster for Tennessee in these games where they don't shoot well compared to where they really didn't have that in the last couple seasons. 
you know, you talk about the guards, and obviously Taylor and Radford were playing at a different level on Saturday night. And I think about Zakai. We we talked about this a little earlier, too, that there were moments when I was watching where it felt like Zakai looked like he was about 10 years old out there against those guys from a physicality standpoint. They're just bigger and you know stronger, and they were definitely applying pressure. So my question is about Zakai. He played all 40 minutes. And in a game where, honestly, honestly, the outcome was not in much doubt, you know, it cut it to 12 with three or four minutes to go, but uh, that took everything and the team had to get there. Do you feel that that is just a byproduct at this point, that Barnes just doesn't have any confidence in anyone else to come in? I mean, because there's always, it's well chronicled about Sakai getting too many minutes and is he going to be, you know, is he going to hit a wall by tournament time and all these other things? That's all I could think about is in a game where he wasn't playing that well and the team as as a whole was not playing that well, likely to lose. Why is he playing every minute of the game? You left him speechless. Ryan Schumpert, (laughs) RockyTopInsider.com. He said, you're not going to get me to... To bash Rick Barnes and playing Zakai 40 minutes. I'm out of here. Ryan, appreciate uh, I got, I'm back. I think I got you. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, Bob was asking about Zakai playing all 40 minutes of the game. And yeah, whether that means he lost confidence in the rest of the guys. Well, I, I definitely think that you say lost confidence. I'm not sure he really ever had confidence in yeah. anybody else when it comes to comes to playing point guard. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think he's a safety blanket. And you see it all the time that time and – Score and games being out of hand, I, I don't think that's something that you know, I think that's something you say is a pretty big weakness of Barnes. I mean, you see it all the times in games they're up by twenty and they're still playing the starters. You know, they're still playing the guy who's played thirty six minutes in the last two minutes, three minutes of the game. So right. uh, I don't think that's necessarily something they lost more than just something they, you know, they haven't had a backup point guard on the roster the last two years. Uh, you occasionally really see the, the struggle of that. So uh, you know. Rick Barnes talking about the guy not wanting to come out. You know, I think you got to take him out anyway, especially like you said in a game that got out of hand. To me, the thing I would point to with the with the minutes and the rotation in that game is that I just I just couldn't get past how many minutes Jordan Ganey played uh, compared to Jemai Meshack specifically, especially in the first half. I think Ganey played eleven and Meshack played one, and it was like Meshack good defensively on a game he couldn't stop anybody off the dribble. He's a physical guy on the glass that's going to help you in a game that. You, a&M is hitting the glass hard. I don't know. I left that game, even though Zakai Ziegler didn't play very well, I left that game feeling like Zakai Ziegler and Jemai Meshack were the two guys that brought the, the intensity uh, that it was going to take for Tennessee to win. And I found myself a little befuddled at watching Jemai Meshack sit on the bench as much as he did, especially a game where Jordan Ganey wasn't bringing anything offensively. Ryan Schumpert, RockyTopInsider.com. We appreciate his time as always. Ryan on the way out, over under 3.5. The number of wins for Tennessee in their next four games. The next four games at Arkansas, home for Vanderbilt, at Missouri, and a rematch at home against Texas A&M. Over under 3.5 wins. I think over. I think they run the table and and give themselves a chance in that final tough four-game stretch to to at least get a share of the SEC title. Well, last week I asked you that about the six games, and you said five and one. So if they run the table, you will have been correct. Ryan, appreciate your time as always. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you, man. Quick timeout, Sam. We'll come back. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio.
Hour number three kicking off here in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Go download the brand new Fan Run Radio app. Go to your app store. Download it. You got it up and running. Brand new FanRunRadio.com. Got an announcement coming this week of a pretty cool event we're trying to put together. So keep an eye on that. We'll talk about it on air as well on X. Some cool stuff happening here at Fan Run Radio. Download the app. Take us wherever you go. All right, let's kick off some hour number three with some winners and losers of the weekend. I won't make either one of you sing the intro song. Sam, you can get an intro ready over the next week or so. But it's winners and losers of the weekend. Bob, who did you think won this weekend? I had a couple. Um, first off, and this comes from Super Bowl, and we'll probably talk a little bit about Super Bowl commercials in general, but uh, whatever this product was, Timu. Did you see any of their spots? Did I see any of their spots? Yeah, Three I, saw, of them. I saw all their spots. Three of them. So wait, you have them as a winner or a loser? They, I have them as a winner because people are talking about it. I mean, I never want to use them though. They made me so annoyed that I don't ever want to use their product. But you're 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 at least a little more familiar with them. That's the whole mission. And I yeah, I'd say that you know they good lord knows what they spent, but. Uh, I mean, we were all talking about that. What is Timu? And you know, there's all sorts of comments on social media of, you know, there's there's uh, word that they might be a place that you don't want to give them your credit card information because it could end up getting you know harvested by other uh, places. And yeah, you know, it, it it was a, it was curious to me, but boy, I know who they are now. Well, I'll answer, Well, I'll say I know the name, but I don't know what they do. It's some sort of shopping tool. That's that's one of my friends said. You know, they said they spent a lot of money there, and basically they said it was like a Chinese Amazon. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's a cheap Amazon. You can buy a bunch of stuff, and it comes from China. Is basically what I know about it. But I didn't see them like really promoting that in the commercials. So I don't know if that was effective. You, you know the name, and maybe you go and Google it, and you do the work yourself. But I think it's. I, I'd like to believe it's rub off. It's Taylor Swift effect too, because it's my wife knew what it was immediately, and okay. I, I mean not the stereotype, but for f- for females that do a lot of online shopping and everything, they there was familiarity with what it was. Okay. So yeah, they were. I think just trying to build awareness. But yeah, they. I I think they. It's not going to resonate with me, but I think it, their mission was to obviously spread awareness and you know widen their net, and they did it. Um, Don't worry, Papa Bezos, I'm staying with you. Yeah, I'm not going to the Chinese knockoff version. I'm I'm riding with you, Papa Bezos. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other one, <laughs> Dave Portnoy. Sells bar stool way back when for about a half a billion dollars. Buys it back then just recently for a buck. Sits out for a six-month non-compete and now has signed an eight-figure annual marketing deal with DraftKings. I was under the impression they had a non-compete with all sports books. I thought that was a part of the terms of the sale to ESPN because you know ESPN bets is essentially what Barstool Sportsbook was, right? Correct. Yeah. Like they. That was a part of the the deal with was it Penn Sports? Yes. I was under the impression Barstool couldn't be in the gambling game anymore. So how does this work? Well, they're back in. I that I don't know. I don't know yeah. any details on it. They they literally just uh, signed this deal in the last you know. Yeah, I saw it this weekend. weekend. Yeah. yeah, but I I was under the impression they had a non compete and they couldn't be in the gambling. 
they, well, promoting they, gambling apps because of the relationship with Penn. I thought that was a part of him being able to buy Barstool back for a dollar was contingent on that. He had a non-compete, but he served it six months. Yeah, I thought it was a in perpetuity type yeah, of thing. Yeah, apparently not. But uh, so a lot of money coming their way. I don't know the terms of the deal, how how many years it's for, but you know, <laughs> eight figures annually is a uh, is a nice bump for. Uh, you know, that's some of the shrewdest business dealings ever. If you look back to how much money Portnoy made selling Barstool, then bought it back for nothing essentially, and now is going to make more money with that asset. I still think he's a jerk. Well, yeah, I'm not a fan, but he offered me a job, Bob, and then backed out on me. Or well, actually, didn't back out on me; just ghosted me. So I, I got beef with Portnoy. <laughs> well, your consolation prize—you get to work with me now, so it's good, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There you go. Good <laughs> yeah. answer. Good yeah. answer. Um, my third one, you're not going to like it. Somebody was one of one from three-point range in college basketball this weekend. Oh, God, oh, God Bob. I thought you were going to say you were one of one in your pickup game on Saturday. Is what no, I you were say. didn't play well, honestly. But uh, Do you stay out and pop the three, or are you, or are you down on the block? I putting people in a blender. I pop the three, and but to the extent where maybe some guys on the team might tell me, "Hey, man, get under. Got to get underneath <laughs> to get down there." So yeah, I, I, you got Chris Tasporzingus over here just wants to stay out by the perimeter. I'm a left-hander, so that's that that gives you a little edge on the outside shot. But uh, Zach Eady, the circus freak, as you like to call him, hit a three against Indiana, which was sweeter because it was against Indiana and they were just running them off the court. So. I've seen some buzz that he is working his way into being a a lottery pick. That uh, seems crazy to me, but say he's increased his athleticism and his shooting, and and might get a shot, uh, might get a shot in the first round, maybe as high as the lottery. I think that's cr- out of the entire weekend. Zach Eady's <laughs> one of your three biggest winners. So no Patrick Mahomes, no Usher. I figured you're going to cover the. I think the NFL is a is a winner for sure. The NFL in general, just you know, it ended the way they'd love for it to. The Vegas story, there was nothing really, really crazy. I mean, there was a streaker, but who cares? No, that's anywhere, yeah. Yeah, there's going to be there's going to be lots of Super Bowls in Vegas until I, we find out Kyle Shanahan was shaving points. Ha. But those are my winners. My winners of the weekend number three. I went with movies. Movies were kind of the highlight of the Super Bowl commercials, it felt like. Between the Twisters, uh, between Deadpool, the Planet of the Apes are back. I love that movie franchise. Yeah. I'm happy to see Planet of the Apes Hell back. Yeah. I thought movies, the big winners of the Super Bowl commercials. Outside of my girl, Jenna Ortega. Shout out to her. Number two, I went with the dog, Juwan Jennings. I think he becomes, I don't want to say a household name, but I do think he made himself a lot of money as he's set for restricted free agency. He's a tough wide receiver. He got to throw a touchdown. He is now, you know, in Super Bowl lore in terms of guys to catch and throw a Super Bowl. It's just him and Nick Foles. But Jawan Jennings, I thought, was a big winner of the game despite losing the game. Number one, though, it's the duo. We went from Belichick and Brady to Mahomes and Andy Reid. And I find Reed and Mahomes to be much more enjoyable. I don't I don't have the disdain for them, despite having three Super Bowls and kind of being the, the new evil empire. I don't really hate them. Maybe it's because Andy Reed's fat. It helps to look jolly. Maybe it's the, give me them nuggies. Maybe it's that. I don't know. 
Do you see my comment on the text thread last night? It all caps, give me my damn nuggies. Give him his nuggies. He's like yep. Santa Claus. Kind That's of what I'm saying. He just like, seems jolly. Yeah. I mean, he just seems seems jolly. And and Mahomes, for as great as he is, I don't really hate him either. I thought he was going to have the Steph Curry effect where at first everyone loves him, and then you realize, wait, this guy's actually cocky and I hate him. He's a kind of a villain. Curry got a little bit of that you know, during their run, especially with Durant. Maybe it's because Mahomes doesn't come across as cocky. He just comes across as a killer. And he sounds like Kermit the Frog. And he just says the right things. And if you do want a goon on the team to hate, maybe it's just like, hey, Travis Kelsey's the annoying one. I don't know. But Mahomes and Andy Reid, they're the big winners of the weekend. Sam, anybody we missed? Um, I had written down as Connecticut and Purdue, basically, and everybody else in college basketball is kind of just losing, it seems like. Those are the two that just... Win no matter what. Winners. Yeah. Yeah, they're separated. I had sure. I had uh, Mahomes and Andy Reid, though, too. They are the uh, – Mahomes and, and – I'm sorry. Mahomes and Andy Reid are now the uh, the winningest quarterback and head coach duo in Allegiant Stadium history. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. That's like the stat that Big Ben had more wins, like, in, in uh, the Brown Stadium than, than the Browns had for right. a while. <laughs> right. Something crazy like that. Yeah. All right, who lost this weekend? For me, the clear-cut loser was the PGA. This stuff that went down in uh, at the Waste Management Phoenix Open, it's, it's, an, it's really an embarrassment at this point. I mean, I couldn't believe what I was watching. I mean, they're just more and more, you know, footage of – this is stuff you would see at the infield at the Indy 500 where yeah. people are just hammered. And it started with that 16th hole play that they do there, but it looks like it was happening all over the course, you know. People, guys relieving themselves outside the concession area. Like, it looks like Happy Gilmore. Yeah, exactly. Hear, like, we, it was a whole – they lost control of the whole place. Yeah, like, I know they shut off alcohol sales yeah, yesterday. They, they closed the gates, shut off alcohol sales. Then you started having players who were yelling. I mean, I don't know if you saw any of the stuff on social media. Billy Horschel threw down, yeah. and He was – Basically, this is my job. Stop yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, Jordan Spieth. Hits a shot. You you could read his lips. You know, not suitable for uh, for us on air. What he said and um, Zach Johnson yelling at fans, telling him to just shut your mouth. Please shut up. I mean, that's what he was saying. It's. Uh, I mean, it feels like the Eric Andre meme, verbal meme of you know <laughs> the of PGA golf complaining about all the hooligans out there and you know how did this happen? It's because the PGA has been promoting this for the last five years as the biggest party on tour. Like, yeah. Everyone talks about it. They do it on the Super Bowl weekend for a reason. Like they want it to be, compete and to be a big thing, and and like they have created a monster. And I don't know how they dial it back. Yeah, they lost control. I mean, to the extent where I thought about what would Live do. Even I think Live the Live Tour would be like, whoa, you know, this is this is a little much, man. You guys need to do something. Well, it, it was bad. In the past, the players have talked about how much they love it. Yeah, yeah. So has that changed now? Do the players hate it now? No, I mean, I think it just kind of gets to a point where it's like. It's having fun and drinking and having a good time at a tournament, and then also just like, damn you, you know, people, go yeah, back to your shanties, screaming in their backswing, and just. I, don't know. <laughs> I saw something that said that there was over half a million people on the course at once, like they just lost control of the of the ticket group or whatever, and they were just letting anybody in. People were going into like VIP booths that were all you can drink and like just you know drinking whatever they could, and nobody could stop them, and that just became a a mess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was something. I I just I hardly watched any of the tournament just because there was so many other things going on. But 
just the stuff I've seen on social media it was making me kind of making me sad after a while. It's like, okay, I've seen enough people mudsliding without their shirts on and just, I mean, it was down berms. And I mean, it was because they got a little bit of rain. So that made it a little wet and muddy. So it was just a a total, total perfect storm of combination of bad things that would create bad behavior. And it just got out of hand. It's been a lot of no name winners too. Like it's, I think the first four events, it's been at least 120 to one winners so far this year. Yeah. So it's just been a lot of guys like, you know, I feel like they were kind of banking on like a Scotty Scheffler winning that to kind of be able to mask over the, the bad stuff that happened with all the fans. And who was the playoff? Nick Taylor won, but who did he have the playoff against? Charlie Hoffman. Charlie Hoffman. Yeah. 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 I guess that's what happens when your good players go to live. Yeah. Liv might be enjoying this a little bit. Um, my other loser, we talked a teeny bit about this, but again, it's a little more close to me because I spent some time on the West Coast and paid attention to them. UCLA football, maybe UCLA athletics, they're they're in trouble, man. This Chip Kelly move kind of uh, accentuates it because and it's more about who they can't seem to draw for the job at this point. There's not big names available. and They're late in the game, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's hard in February. I mean, because if you have a regular offseason, P.J. Fleck probably takes that job, right? Yeah, could be. Yeah, but now they're entering Big Ten play, and they are at a decided disadvantage. Uh, as you would mentioned, John, they have, haven't really been recruiting much, and uh, now that they've lost their coach, and whoever they're going to bring in is – you know, might be a fine coach, but they they've got a lot they got a lot of ground to make up in a short amount of time. So UCLA is on that list for me. And then my third one, it's I don't know, it's kind of fun, but it's also like I feel like uh, from last night. I think uh, rollerblades kind of uh, there's been a lot of fun made of uh, rollerblades on social media after uh, Usher's performance. And anybody making fun of that didn't see him in Vegas. I'm telling you the. The way he was moving around that stage, the whole crew, it was it was mesmerizing. Yeah, and I need to clarify because uh, Roberto earlier in the show made that comment that they weren't rollerblades. It was uh, it was speed speed wheels or whatever the yeah. hell you would call them. The but. quads, yeah. The when I think of rollerblades, I think of the ones just in line. The yeah, the speed skates, the quads. That's kind of yeah. That's what they were on. Those are the ones you can do cool tricks on and slide yeah. around. I can't I can't really use those. The best meme that was floating around on that was that video I sent to you guys of Peter Murphy from Family Guy doing. <laughs> Doing his rollerblading, saying this is a cut, a cut, you know, highlights from the Usher concert. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was my third. That one, I don't know. There's part of it that I thought was kind of cute, but I also was like, really? I'm watching a dude roller skate. But yeah, now you've got me thinking after what you saw on his show. Shame on you, Bob. The rollerblades are so cool. The skates, the, the quads, whatever. You can use them interchangeable. The skating around, I like. I feel like that's a part of the culture in Atlanta too. I don't know. I'm just basing that off the movie ATL, where they're rolling or where they're skating around. But either way, my losers of the weekend number three. I think it's officially dead, so it makes it the third biggest loser of the weekend. The 2018 college football coaching cycle: Scott Frost at Nebraska, Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, Willie Taggart at Florida State, Dan Mullen at Florida, Chad Morris at Arkansas. Joe Moorhead, Mississippi State. Kevin Sumlin, Arizona. Herm Edwards, Arizona State. Jeremy Pruitt, Tennessee. And now Chip Kelly at UCLA. All duds. All terrible hires. Hmm. 
not one guy you could even look at and say, ah, you know, that wasn't that bad. Of of the group, I mean, I guess Dan Mullen had the best run of there, everybody, I, I guess. Yeah. There was a minute last last season when it looked like Kelly might have UCLA headed in the right direction, but then that all fell apart this season. So, But like you, number two, I had UCLA just in general. Uh, they they seem dead in, when yeah. it comes to athletics. The, the basketball program is bad this year. Mick Cronin. Maybe going to come back east. He's a name to watch for for Louisville if it opens. So uh, UCLA's in trouble. Number one, I got to think the biggest loser of the weekend, though, is just Kyle Shanahan. Now, three Super Bowls he's been a part of where his team's blown a double digit lead 28 to 3. You know, they had a 10 point lead in the Super Bowl in 2019 slash 20 against the Chiefs. And then last night, a 10 0 lead that he blew. He's just now going to be mentioned in terms of biggest losers. You know, when we talk about, like, the Bills and the teams that, like, choke and can't get over the hump, very rarely do you point, like, at a coach. Like, very rarely do we, like, single out a single guy who couldn't get it done. But Shanahan now is going to be a, long, uh, a part of that crew in terms of just name recognition. Dan Marino, Kyle Shanahan, guys who can't get it done. Sam, anybody we missed? Um, Unfortunately, I put down some of uh, Tennessee's basketball resume wins, Wisconsin, Drops four straight now, gets blown out against Rutgers. Uh, Illinois loses a tough one against Michigan State, and then Kentucky obviously looks terrible against Gonzaga. So those are three of your wins that were, you know, you were you were hoping were going to be kind of big resume building wins, and those three are, are starting to fade a little bit. Is that four straight losses or three? Four, four, I think. For well, okay, I say so three. I know they lost to Purdue and Michigan. They lost to Nebraska. They lost before, to Nebraska in overtime. Yeah. Nebraska and then they got their okay. ass kicked by Rutgers. Yeah. Yep. Okay, fair enough. I'd forgot about the Nebraska game. Yeah, they got dominated by Rutgers. Yeah. And yeah. Rutgers is you know, they're they're twelve and ten going into I was that game. Say, they're not that good this year. No. Um that's a good one, actually. Yeah. Good job by you, Sam. <laughs> Anything else, Bob? Um Nah. We might talk Super Bowl commercials. I have one that I was very confused by. We can talk about that when we come back. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio.